This is recording number 10,715 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the second message in the Compassionate Commandments series. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 10, 2007. This message is titled, Faith. To the book of Romans, back in the, in the New Testament, Romans, it is the sixth book, like, that, that, like that's going to make any difference to you, but it's the sixth book in the New Testament, and um, it comes right after Acts, and right before 1 Corinthians. As you can tell, I'm kind of vamping until everybody gets their food and can get back to their seat. But anyway, you find Romans, turn to the very first chapter, now that will be easy, find, easy to find, Romans chapter 1. And when you found Romans chapter 1, would you put something there to mark your place? You know, a donut or, you know, something that will just kind of mark your spot there. And then turn back in the Old Testament to the second book in the Bible, Exodus and chapter 20. We uh, began last week a series of messages that will, uh, the plan is that there will be 10 messages. Um, because this is a, a study of the Ten Commandments, and so we're going to take one week on each. I said last week that I usually teach in series of messages, usually not more than about four or five messages in a series, because we, uh, there are, the reasons that I teach in series are, are pretty selfish, actually. It's because I usually don't get things the first time around, so it takes me a, a few go-rounds before it really sinks in. But then uh, I usually don't go more than four or five weeks because we begin to lose interest after a while in this, you know, uh, five-minute attention span era in which we live. Um, but I'm going to ask you to hang in with me for uh, these weeks together. That'll take us all the way through the first week of August as we talk about the compassionate commandments. And we um, often think, or let's put maybe not you, but uh, then again, maybe, maybe you. But a lot of people in this world tend to think of the Ten Commandments, you know, as though they are somehow connected with this stern, scowling, white-haired wizard of the heavens, you know, who's waving his bony finger at us and saying, don't do that, you know. And it, nothing could be, nothing. I mean, I use this, this phrase often. It, it's one of those kind of things that people say and and often they don't even mean it. I mean it when I say this right now. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing. God in heaven is not trying to impose on us some sort of outdated morality that makes life miserable or anything like that. He is trying with the Ten Commandments as the people of Israel, the people of God, after he had liberated them from 400 years of slavery, he drew them to himself. He invited them to meet him. Imagine. He invited these people to meet him at Mount Sinai where he gave them these words that flowed out of his heart for the securing of their destiny. These are the things that he wanted them to know that would help them to be able to live the life that he planned and intended for them. They flow out of his deep well of love for us. And so that's why I've used the, the, the or kind of rephrased this, the, the compassionate commandments, because that's what they are. Last week we talked about the first of these, which you will see in verse 2. Um, or 
uh, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 20 of uh, the book of Exodus. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And last week we talked about how the real issue behind that commandment is devotion and how the Lord tells us that or invites us to put aside every other god. All the things that, because we, remember last week we talked about, we, we will make gods of that which we think will meet our needs. But they, those false gods that we create can never meet our needs. There's only one God who can answer the deep needs of a person's life. Only one. There is only one true God. And when we seek after other gods, all that happens is that our lives become dissipated. And God wants us to not only know the meeting of those deep cries and needs of our hearts, but to be able to get past that so that we aren't living our lives simply for the meeting of needs, but that we get on with the agenda of destiny. So now we come to verse 4 where it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now I'm asking you to turn back to Romans, that place where you have your donut park there, you know. When I was in uh, uh, third grade, uh, so what, that makes me about eight years old, I guess. I was, um, I went to a school where they had boundaries. You know, you, you, you couldn't go beyond certain boundaries. When you're out on the play field and doing your stuff, you know, chasing girls or whatever it was that you're doing, you don't get to go beyond certain boundaries. And um, so what they said was you can't go up the ice plant because the, the play field was down uh, at a lower level than, than the street, and there was ice plant down the, the slope, right? Anybody know what ice plant is? Okay, good. I don't have to give you a biology lesson or botany lesson or something like that. <laughs> biology might be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the prerequisite that I missed. So, so anyway, you can't go on the ice plant. Hmm, that ice plant looks pretty inviting. <laughs> don't we do that? I mean, we just, we don't like rules, and when somebody tries to pin us in with rules, you know, there's this American spirit that rises up. I'm a, I'm a, an American. I don't obey rules. I'm sure other people in other countries are, have the same malady, but, but it's certainly true of us. So I'm looking, when the teacher isn't, I'm going for the ice plant. And I climb up the ice plant, and here's what happens. I slip on the ice plant. You know, because it's so, uh, what do they call it? Uh, wow. All kinds of, of things you're saying to me. It's overwhelming. I, but you get the picture. It's slippery. So I slip, and I start to fall down, slide down the ice plant. And, and this hand right here catches on a shard of glass. I still have a two-inch scar right there. And um, all of a sudden, I realized, hmm, that's why my teacher didn't want me out here on the ice plant. 
you know, and, and my teacher, when she told us not to go beyond the boundaries, not to go up the ice plant, it wasn't just about the ice plant. It was about having a sense of, of obedience and submission to, the, to those who are trying to help me and keep me safe and instruct me in right living. To me, it was all about the ice plant. We have a God in heaven who has said to us, don't make a carved image. Because there's something more at stake. And that something more is faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the, is the key. It's the, the, the bedrock foundational truth of our relationship with God Almighty. And he says to us in uh, the book of James that without our Hebrews is without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this morning, as we consider the second commandment, you shall have make no carved image. We're talking about faith. Read with me beginning at verse 18 of Romans chapter one or follow along as I read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, nobody likes to hear that God's upset. I don't. When God gets mad, bad things happen. And so this verse says that he's upset. The wrath of God is revealed. And the original, uh, in the original language, the word that's translated wrath here in our English Bibles has more to do with a passionate response. This, this verse says that... Um, oh, actually, let me back up for a second here. I get ahead of myself sometimes. Um, this verse says to us that God is passionate. He is engaged in, he's, he's worked up about the fact that unrighteousness and ungodliness rules among us. Now, unrighteousness means unrightness. It means that God's kind of upset about the fact that things are not right. Things are not the way they should be. You know, we know that in our hearts, deep in our hearts. We know. We sense that. We look around. We, we see our own lives. We see the lives of the people that we know and love and how they're being you know, lived out. We look at the television and other forms of media and it's clear. Things are not. We know that. Things are not. There's got to be a different way. Things are not as they were meant to be. And the Bible says that God is not happy about the fact that things are not as they should be. Unrighteousness. Unrightness. It says, and he's also upset because of the ungodliness. Godliness means... God-likeness. And so the world that we live in, the world that we're moving through, is not as it should be, and it is not God-like. It's not representative of God. Why? Because sin has been unleashed on the planet. And it's like somebody has just come through, you know, out here on the fence, uh, on the, uh, the um, wall out here in the parking lot. Somebody has graffitied, you know, the, the wall. And I've gotten to where, you know, I don't think about it a whole lot. Otherwise, I'd be out there with a paintbrush and cover it, right? But it still kind of bugs me. It still kind of diminishes 
the sense of, of this place. It's like a scar, you know? And it's like sin placed this, this uh, can of spray paint in the devil's hand, and he's just gone through smudging up, just, you know, defacing everything that God intended for us. And the Lord is not happy about that because he loves us. And he created us to enjoy, enjoy this life and, and find the fulfillment that we long for. And so we're going to continue there in, um, in Romans chapter 1 in just a minute. But I wanted to give you a perspective on why, uh, at least a starting point, as to why this issue is so important. You see, we want God to conform to our notions of what he should be like. It's interesting that on Mount Sinai, when God was speaking to Moses and giving him these very Ten Commandments at the same time, when God was saying to Moses, don't make carved images of me. The people, the Israelites down in their camp were creating a golden calf as a representative of God, a representation of God. Now, it wasn't as though, when you read the text carefully, it's pretty clear they weren't saying, oh, well, this is a different God. What they were saying is, this is, a God. This is what God looks like. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on up there on the mountain. We've kind of lost track of Moses. You know, there's fire, there's smoke, and, and he's been gone for a long time. And we're kind of getting tired of waiting. We want to get to the promised land. Aaron, Moses' brother, Aaron, would you please... Give us something visible, something tangible. We can get our arms around, something we can relate to as an image of God. And let's get on with this thing. That was happening at the very moment when God was saying, don't make a carved image of me. <clears throat> because we want, like those people, it's not like we get to point fingers at them. Like them, we want God to conform to our notions of what he should be like. I want to tell you, uh, one of the things that I am most um, ashamed of, drum roll please, <laughs> in my life, <clears throat> when uh, Sue and I were newly married, so, you know, about six years old, um, <laughs> now we were just 19, maybe 20, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want responsibility. I didn't want to go to work every day. I didn't want to manage a checking account. I didn't want to live on a budget. <laughs> and so, so I, I came across some verses in the Bible. One of them said, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I said, Amen. <laughs> and you know, that verse is very true, but... I had a sinister plan in mind. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. I'm thinking, well, that hmm, kind of lets me off the hook. God's going to do all the supplying, right? And then I found another verse that says, we walk or we live by faith, not by sight. So I started putting together this image of God in my mind. I started painting a face on God that looked the way I wanted him to look in that situation. I started to carve an image of God that says, you know, you don't have to be responsible. You don't have to worry about anything. I will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Don't worry. You don't feel like going to work today. Don't worry about it. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. 
And besides that, and pay no never mind to the balance in your checkbook because you live by faith, not by sight. <laughs> so it says minus, you know, $200 in there. Pay no never mind. You walk by faith, not by sight. So with that image of God firmly in place, I could get my arms around that and it really spoke to me. I started writing bad checks all over town. I live, by, I live by faith, not by sight. I'm joking about it, but it's really seriously the thing I am most ashamed of in my life. I was so... Not because it was just flat wrong. And, you know, if Alan had anything to say about it, he'd haul me off to jail. <laughs> but because I violated God. I defamed God. And I used his own word to do it. And don't look at me funny because you do the same thing. We, we want God to look like we want him to look. We want him to say the things we want him to say. And that's making a false image of God. We want God to be obedient to us. God, I want you to do what I want, when I want, how I want you to do it. We want him to be predictable. Don't ever, don't ever throw these surprises my way. I don't like that. I want to know, I, you know, show me the, give me the rules here that you are going to live by, God. Let me just box you in over here in this little pen where you're nice and safe. You're not going to bother me with this weird stuff that happens every once in a while that I'm not prepared for. We want God to be definable. But let me tell you, <clears throat> when you get out there on the beach, uh, where was it you said earlier? No, no, uh, yeah, in Baja, right? You get out there on the beach in Baja, Dave, and you look up at the starry heavens. How do you define that? How do you define that? And that's just the fingerprint of God, not God himself. We want God to be, we want to shape him the way we want him shaped because we want to be able to control him. And it's not that God is fighting for his, you know, his authority or position. Trust me, he's very secure. He's not really concerned about that. But this leads us to a place where things are not right, not as he intended them to be, where things are not God-like in the world because we lost sight of what God is like. We've shaped him the way we want him to be shaped. Any face that we paint on God will portray him as less than he is. Read with me at verse 19 now, chapter 1 of Romans. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. And he's referring to the fact that the, the choices that we've made to, to paint a false image on God is not because we don't know better. 
He says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Just the video that we had earlier called our attention to a God who is immense and awesome and powerful. His handiwork everywhere, even though it has been spray-painted and abused and uglied by the devil because of sin, still there remains that which calls us to the awesomeness of, what, of, of who God really is. And so he says that we're without excuse when we go to try to paint a face on God. We know better. Because, excuse me, um, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, and became futile or empty in their thoughts. We got a lot of people in, sitting in think tanks thinking really incredible thoughts. But the Bible says that their thoughts are foolish, and their foolish hearts have become darkened. They profess themselves to be wise, but they've become fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We're going to look at verse 16 and 17 in just a moment, so keep your fingers there, but let me go on with this. Any face we paint on God will portray him as less than he is. Impotent. That's what we, I mean, you know, we would never say this, but, you know, in our deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts, what we really want is a God who has no power. Impotent. Because then we can marginalize him. We can kind of put him out to the edges of our life. You know, I'll visit him on Sunday or when I'm tr in trouble and really, you know, come to the end of myself and I really need some help, then I'll, I'll go to God. But the problem is, in order to push him out to the margins of our life, we've had, to cause, we've had to paint a picture on him of impotence. In order to do it, we've stripped him in our minds and hearts of the power, the very power we need in those moments when we think we, we have to go to him. And the, the, the truth of it is, when we paint these faces on God, when we make, try to make him be what we want him to be, it's really an obscenity. Have you ever been in places where people worship idols? Or gone to, um, you, know, uh, a uh, you know, some sort of uh, temple, of, you know, a Buddhist temple or something like that? And please, I'm, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not trying to you know, say anything bad about anybody. I, what I'm wanting to say is, doesn't it strike you when you encounter these, these idols, these things that people have actually fashioned, you know, of gold or whatever it is to worship, don't they look kind of obscene? I get, you know, I, you know that I travel to Taiwan every six months and I'll, I'll go by these Buddhist temples and things and I'll look in there and it's, I, I, I'm sure they don't, 
mean it that way at all. I'm sure it's a very you know sacred place to them, but and and, and I, I don't know how to describe it except that it feels repulsive to me. I don't want to go in there. When we when we try to fashion a face on God that suits us, and we we're actually defaming Him, and and causing making an obscenity. And that verse we read in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1 says that God is worked up about that. He's worked up because things are not as they should be. We have deliberately defamed him, it says. And we have become like the false image we have crafted. That's, that's, that's the thing that's got God worked up. We, we become like what we worship. And any face we paint on God is going to uh, portray him as less than he is, and so we become less than we should be, and our world becomes obscene. Look at verse um, 16 with me now, Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it... The righteousness, the rightness, things as they should be. That's what that word means. Of God, God as he should be. The right image of God. In it, the right image of God, the rightness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I told you at the outset that this whole issue... Just like me and the ice plant. It wasn't about the ice plant. It was about learning a lesson that would save me in life. You shall have no, um, or not make for yourself carved images. That second commandment is not simply about, you know, not making some sort of golden calf. It's about faith. And God is using his gospel to reveal to us a self-portrait, a true self-portrait. Glorious beyond comprehension. The gospel, in case you're wondering what that is, in the strictest sense, it's this truth that the Bible proclaims that man and God are separated by sin. And God decided not to leave us to our fate, but himself came, paid the penalty for our disobedience and our sins so that we could be made one with him, reunited with him in fellowship, and our sin be forgiven. In the strictest sense, that's the gospel. The next concentric circle emanating out from that core truth, when we talk about the gospel, we're also talking about the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk about the life of Jesus. That's, those are called the gospels. But beyond that, we're talking the whole of the expression of God's heart to us. And the Bible is the, is the uh, repository of that. This that you hold in your hands, this is the gospel. And it says there in verse six, 17 of chapter, Ro- or excuse me, of chapter 1 of Romans that the rightness of God, the true image of God and who he is, is being revealed to us here. And when you look in this, you begin to see 
a God who, who breaks, every, breaks out of every box you can make for him. He is mysterious and wonderful and awesome and powerful. Sometimes even the way that we talk to God, it's as though we're talking down. Have you noticed this? When we pray, sometimes like we're talking down to him. As though we were speaking to a child. And even if not that, it's as though we were speaking to a peer. Listen, this is the God who has always been. Always been. That right there. I might as well just unplug my brain because I cannot get that. I cannot get my hand around that. Why bother trying? Why get a headache over it? God has always been and always will be. And here on this little little sliver of time in the vastness of his infinite domain, he's wanting to have relationship with me. When I talk to that God, I don't talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm Yikes! The Bible teaches us about a God whose glory is incomprehensible. And it's embraced incrementally by faith. And what I mean by that is what it says there, that the glory of God, the rightness of God is revealed faith by faith. It's like this. You get a hold of this book and you, you read something there and you go, wait a minute. Wait a, wait a honking minute here. Are you telling me you never had a beginning? That you, you have always, always been? There's no starting point for you? What were you doing all this time? And your brain just collapses in on the immensity of who God is. And you can't, it's like, but at some point you kind of come to this place of faith and you go, ah, I cannot comprehend it. But I believe. How could you be that great? But I, I believe. And you take a step of faith. Man, it starts to change your life. Just that. It starts to change your life. The way you relate to God. The, relate, the way you relate to your wife. The way you relate to every... It's, it changes your life. And then you're thumbing through your Bible, you're reading your one-year Bible, and you're just kind of, you know how your mind kind of goes numb, and you don't, you start, you're reading along, but you don't even see it, and then all of a sudden a verse will leap out of the page at you, and you'll read that, and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. You can't be that good. You mean, you mean to tell me that you have separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west? Wait a second. How can that be? Your heart begins to swell with a desire to know this God who doesn't remember, who chooses not to remember my sin and sees me apart from my sin as far as the east is from the west. And you say, I don't get that. But I believe. And you take another step in faith and it changes your life. And that's how it progresses. That's how it goes from faith to faith, the Bible says. That's what what the issue is here with this second commandment. Read with me from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. One 
2, 3. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the part that's just... When I... The Bible says that I... It, it, it's oh, so amazing. It's like... It says that when I look into the Word of God and I begin to see God for who He is and I begin to embrace it faith by faith, step by step, it's like I'm looking in a mirror and the Bible says I'm not really seeing myself. Graciously, God is not shining this mirror of my glaring sin in my face. I'm looking in a mirror and what I see is the glory of God that's being revealed to me faith by faith. And the amazing thing is that, the, that really what's happening is God is showing me what I am becoming like. More like Him. And even though I'm looking at an image, when I read the Bible and I see in those pages, what I see in those pages is an image of God. The Bible says there's this amazing thing that's happening that I'm starting to look like that. From glory to glory, He's changing me. It's, it's too much. The psalmist says it's too wonderful for me. I cannot, I cannot attain to it. Stand with me. Dave, would you come and help me? We were introduced to a song earlier today called Here and Now. And I want to uh, ask you to join with me in singing this song. It says, here and now, here in this moment, here and now I turn to you. And it talks about the majesty and the mystery of God, the true God. I want to ask you, while we sing it, if you would allow, uh, if you would make it your prayer, make it the desire of your heart in these moments, right here, right now, with the true and living God, to let, let fall from your understandings of God all the things, all the faces you've painted on him. Just let it go. It's kind of scary because God is not. I remember, you know, in the, in the, how many of you saw the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? There's a line in there. It's, it's in the books. It comes earlier in the story. In the film, it's right at the very end. But they, when they hear that, you know, there's this lion, Aslan, the, the children said, they, they asked the beavers, they said, well, well is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? No, he, he's not safe. But he's very good. All of the things that you have crafted in your mind's eye about a safe, impotent, marginalized God, let those things fall. And let, let's just worship him as he is and who he is and invite him to make us more like him. You can escape out of that, guys, and give us the lyrics there. Dave, give us an intro. With you. Here and now, here in this moment, here and now, I turn to you. All that my searching heart has longed for can be found. 
sure in this moment here and now let's sing that again here and now here in this moment here and now I What mystery, the God of all eternity stepped into time and gave his life for me. Your hand is seen in galaxies, yet your spirit dwells in me, so vast and yet you're still within. I'll reach here and now, here and now, here in this moment, here and now, I turn to you, all that my searching heart has longed for. presence out here and now here and now here in this moment here and now I turn to you all that my searching heart has longed for You're in this moment, here and now. You're in this moment, here and now. What, uh, what image have you been crafting on or painting on God's face? How have you been rendering Him that is uh, allowing you to do what it is you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. Let's, let's lay those things down. Let's lay that down. I remember a woman who came to me after um, 20 years of marriage and said to me, you know, my, the Lord told me I don't have to be married to my husband anymore. And I said, oh? I said, well, have you, are there problems? And she said, yeah, we're not, we're not getting along. And I said, well, have you... Have you talked to your pastor? Have you sought a counselor? Have you done anything? No, no. Because God told me I don't have to be married to this man anymore. I'm taking my ring off right now here, right? She did that. We, we make God what we want him to be. Maybe not quite so dramatic as that, but there are ways that some of us have done that in this room, and you need to lay that down. 
You need to repent of that. Father in heaven, I do too. Lord, the ways that I have marginalized you, the ways that I have consigned you to some little corner of my life, I repent of that. The ways that I've put words in your mouth, the ways that I have used you to authorize my own selfishness, I, I'm sorry for that, and I repent of that. And here and now, in this moment, I want to embrace you for who you are. Take me, Lord, from this place to live that way, to live that way, embracing the majesty and the mystery and the wonder and the awesomeness of who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day and a good week. See you next time.